And it's quarter uh, past seven on Radio Veritas 5, uh, 7, 6 a.m. And uh, that's, uh, we glorify your name uh, with uh, Hillsong. It's uh, Tuesday, the 28th of uh, August. And so on a Tuesday, of course, we get a Catholic comment from Father Lawrence Mtutu Zinlov. Father? Father Lawrence? Hello. How are you this morning? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And uh, is uh, Rodeport nice and warm today? Apparently elsewhere it's two degrees, but not in Rodeport. Well, it definitely isn't very warm this morning. I just went out to open the, the church door and sort of the butlers and all of that. And I was very surprised. I thought, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, is it June again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it looks like, well, you know, these cold spells, they, they just, they're very short-lived. So tomorrow, I think it will be nice and warm again. We, we, we look forward to it. Now, uh, Father, I think uh, maybe let's start, you know, condolences on your grandmother's uh, passing. Uh, I know that you went to the funeral uh, out in Newcastle this past weekend. And uh, seeing that uh, Pope Francis uh, spoke this week- weekend of grandparents as our roots and so on, uh, do you want to maybe share with us some of your memories of her or maybe just your thoughts then on grandparents? It's interesting. Uh, the lady we went to bury this weekend uh, is the last born, I think, yes, of my, of my, of my mother's mother. So she's my grandmother's sister. Yes. The one that we went to bury in Newcastle this weekend. And as I was there and I was thinking, you know, how fortunate I've been to have known all my grandparents and to have met them and to have been raised by them in, in the formative years of my life and how that has influenced uh, the kind of person that I am, that has influenced the kind of um, treatment that I give to the elderly and how I actually, it's the most, I know it's the most funniest thing, but my friends uh, tend to be very much older, much, much, much older, sometimes even my, my own grandparents' ages. Um, and because I count that as a great fortune, I, I'm very, I'm often very saddened to see many young couples sort of do not allow their children to have a relationship, a proper relationship with their grandparents. Yes. So children... <laughs> have this sort of cosmetic relationship. They don't go spend the night. They don't get used to the jokes and being loved and being. I just find that to be very sad. I'm very glad that Pope Francis spoke about the importance of grandparents and how how big a role they play. He himself always says that his faith was informed by his grandmother, and it's the same with me. My faith. She was my catechist in in Holy Cross Primary School and so on. So, yes, I I, I couldn't agree with him more. And, uh, of course, uh, while you were there, you also saw the... uh, what's the importance uh, of land uh, and how, especially how the people in Newcastle do things. I mean, they bury their dead in their own yard. They don't have to go to a gravesite somewhere. Yes, I felt so moved by that. I'd really forgotten a, a lot about rural life. Not that I know anything about it, because, of course, being born in Soweto and raised in Soweto, there's nothing, the, the, the most rural you're going to get is the mine dump. <laughs> but I was standing there in the Gama homestead in Gogo, in Newcastle, and just fascinated by, you know, it's, this is all there. And, 
you you read the gravestones, you see that's the sister, that's the brother, or that's their parents, going, you know, tombstones, and 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 and. I found that to be absolutely moving, and how heritage, land, land is primarily not just about sustenance, you see, not just about ownership. Land is also about heritage, that this is the land I was born in, this is the land that I worked, and this is the land where my, 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 my resting place will be. Heritage is everything. Land is also about heritage. That's what I thought. So just a side thought as I was standing there watching the burial take place. And then, uh, Father, moving on to something that's uh, quite uh, uh, explosive in the church, uh, this letter of uh, Archbishop Vigano uh, to, well, really writing about Pope Francis. And in fact, he calls on Pope Francis to resign. And uh, he is uh, basically saying Pope Francis, uh, 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 you know, knew about uh, the sexual misconduct uh, allegations against uh, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick anyway and hadn't really done anything. Uh, that, that's one of the things he is uh, saying in this statement. Your thoughts? 11 pages. 11 and, pages. And, you know, 11 pages. It's interesting that we can know, and Archbishop Vigano should say that he was, a, he was a post, of course, the Apostolic Nuncio to the United States for quite some time, which ended with, with when Pope Francis sort of recalled him. But I'm very fascinated by, 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 by what he's saying, and I'm very apprehensive at the same time. Uh, the first fascination is it gives us a window into how the inner workings of running this big machine, I would say, that is, that is, that is the church. The Archbishop of Vigano says that Pope Benedict had imposed sanctions on, on Macaric. He couldn't celebrate Mass in public, he couldn't do this, he, couldn't, he was instructed to leave the seminary and all of that. And his argument is that uh, Pope Francis seemed to have rescinded those, uh, those, what, what was imposed on, 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 on Macaric. And, and, and therefore, it, it follows that Pope Francis must also take responsibility and, and, and resign. We firstly, we know that Vigano is no fan of Pope Francis. So that doesn't surprise us, uh, what he says. And I do think that um, there's a big, a big sadness here, because I think, as Russell Pollitt, Father Russell Pollitt put it, there's a pick-and-choosiness here. Macaric had been a long problem in the church, even during Pope uh, John Paul's time, right through. So just to pick out Pope Francis is a bit hypocritical in his part. But it also begs the question, on his part, he says he told Pope Francis, he himself, yes. uh, 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 what other measures did he notify the new panel that Pope Francis had put together in terms of uh, professional conduct and abuse cases and all of that? It's the most difficult time in the church, especially the church in America. But I still hold the view that what the church represents, what the church stands for in terms of the spiritual lives of the people, is far greater than the, 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 really the bunch of hooligans who have behaved in the most disgusting manner in the church, including the cardinal uh, himself. So this vegan case, one question What's the fundamental thrust? Is he trying to address the problem by fixing maybe the systems that the church has, or is he trying at the same time, or most importantly for him, to drive that dagger into Pope Francis? And for men of God, 
for men of the cloth, I find that absolutely distasteful. And, uh, of course, uh, he is, uh, those are the allegations, right, that uh, the Vatican was made aware of the allegations of sexual misconduct as early as 2000. But uh, what he's not alleging, for example, is that uh, that Pope Francis actually knew about allegations that Archbishop McCarrick sexually abused a minor, uh, which is basically what uh, uh, Pope Francis then, uh, you know, what made uh, Cardinal McCarrick resign in the end because of the yes. sexual abuse of a minor. Yes. Um, he, he, it's, a confl- it's the intelligent conflation of facts. Uh, there's these allegations of mechanic and seminarians, and and, 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 and and then there's this case, which is the real thrust, which is, you know, uh, in the end, what brought mechanic down. And to then lump it all together, as if Pope, Pope Francis knew everything, knew about the mine, and knew about is a bit um, is a bit manipulative on his part. Having said that, uh, there is something to be appreciated about challenging the systems of the church. I'm not particularly excited about the turnaround time in terms of cases. The fact that they seem to go through a long maze before they come out the other side. And by the time the cases come out the other side, so much damage has happened. I want to believe that needs to be systems which are prompt, when something comes up, it is dealt with, you know, it sometimes feels like, sometimes feels like a long relay played within the church. So there's a case on one end, and X will give it to Y, and Y will give it to Z, and Z will give it back to A, and A will, until something gets, gets done. And by the time the turnaround time, it's just too long for me. So I think things like this, uh, in, in using Zigano's uh, um, attempt, trying to see something positive out of it. I think we have to work harder on our processes. And of course, there are some people saying, uh, you know, that they're finding it credible uh, because uh, Archbishop Brigano has been uh, working, I mean, he's been really in the uh, top uh, important positions in the church. Uh, he worked under two popes. He would really have known the inner workings of the, U, uh, the U.S. church as well. Uh, so for him to, to say these sorts of things, uh, it makes it credible. Yes, I suppose the office is held. Uh, he's no, he's an archbishop, so he's no, he's no Lawrence in Rodiport, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, but I think what is important here is is is, is to, to to realize that he himself is a Dutchish fellow. I mean, I'm sorry to say this about an archbishop. Some of the comments that he had said earlier on about pinning where the church is in terms of sexual misconduct on homosexuality and all of that. It's a very myopic and very narrow uh, understanding, as far as I'm concerned, of the crisis of the church. And if he's going to, my, my biggest worry is we shouldn't be sidetracked about dealing with the problems that the church is finding itself in by trying to pin it on, on a pope, on who did what, didn't do what. The fact of the matter is we've got this problem, and how are we going to deal with it decisively? And then, of course, uh, some people are named uh, in that. Uh, Pope Francis, of course, uh, Pope Benedict XVI uh, uh, is also, and, of course, uh, Archbishop McCarrick himself. 
but uh, some of them uh, are gone, uh, you know, are, are not in this world anymore, the people who've been uh, mentioned in that uh, document. But Pope Francis has basically said in his response uh, to the journalists, uh, you read the document, uh, you read the statement, and make up your own minds and do your journalistic work. I know. For somebody who's, uh, for someone who is um, normally very engaging, uh, it was a very interesting response. And I choose my words very uh, um, intentionally by saying interesting. But at the same time, I want to commend him. Because you don't want to comment on something and so by by so doing validate it in a way. Uh, you want to really see what the thrust is. Uh, why is this being said in this way? And what is, what's the motivation? Is it remedial or is it just to uh, add another scandal to the work? Uh, I per- personally would have probably also said something similar. I think what he's trying to say in a different way, dig, dig on Vigano, dig on, on, on his views, and you'll realize that perhaps is not a very credible person himself. And of course, uh, then those questions remain unanswered. Uh, Father Lawrence, maybe give us an idea. How grave is this? Uh, you know, these allegations here. Uh, some okay. people, uh, some you know, uh, reporters are even saying, you know, this could lead to a, a schism. Uh, this is the biggest uh, scandal, or this is the biggest case uh, since the Reformation, and so on. How serious is this situation right now in the church? As far as I'm concerned, schisms do not... Um, you see, it's, it's, it's not a question of what is believed. That's not what is uh, been questioned here. What is believed is accepted by most, and it's not by all, in terms of what the Church preaches. It's a question of ethics. It's a question of morals. The Church is held at a higher moral standard, you see, because of what it stands for and what it preaches and what it purports itself to be. And that's why the criticism of the church will always be higher. But with having said that, we should never for a second think that what we have seen in Pennsylvania, in America, many places in terms of sexual abuse and misconduct, even in our own country and so on, is a situation or a something of the church. We're still just dealing with the Catholic Church here. We've not even begun to do inquiries on Anglicanism, Methodist, you know, Methodist and all of that. By the time that lead, that entire lead, and I'm not talking about one section, of the sexual spectrum of misconduct um, is unveiled to the world, we will realize that we've had a far bigger problem than the Catholic Church. And I, 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 I'm not saying this to sort of give the church a pass. I'm not giving the church a pass at all. But I'm merely saying that those that say uh, this is a big thing, it's huge. It's big. Because it, it, it is the church that is loved that is seen to be disappointing uh, its own people and not dealing decisively and justly and ethically and morally as it is expected to do. But do not think for a second that those who are consider, thinking of a, a schism, whatever, are not going to take some of the bad apples with them and find that they still have the same problems wherever they are. Even if people stop becoming religious and move away from the church, the problem of sex abuse, of rape, of sexual misconduct is still in our schools, 
is still in our universities, is still in our families. So I, I do not think that is a sort of well-rounded thought. I just think it's an emotional thought, but it doesn't deal with the problem. But dealing with the problem is the fixing of systems and the creation of safe spaces in society, in the church and everywhere else. That's the real job. And of course, the timing of it, when Pope Francis was uh, in Ireland, uh, right uh, in the middle of, well, this was on the first day that he was actually in Ireland, about to celebrate Mass on uh, Sunday, the closing Mass of the World Meeting of Families. And you see, it, it, that conversation belongs even in that of the World Meeting of Families. It's families that present their children, you know, to serve, to, to work in the church themselves. It's families that trust us as priests, as workers in the church. Some of these cases, we need to be careful as well. But not all of these cases are about priests. Some are Catholic workers, Catholic teachers, Catholic, and so on, who are working in Catholic institutions. That is why these protocols spread not just to priests, uh, but to people working in the church as officials of the church, religious nuns, religious priests, lay people, and so on. And um, I just felt like what was such an important task in terms of the meeting of the family was just overtaken by somebody who didn't receive scandal as something far more important than the thrust of the church's mission, which is a mission to family life. I, could, I cannot even begin to understand why this time was selected, why he couldn't wait, why did those families, the important mission of the church, which an ordinary archbishop like Vigano should know, should be shrouded by an 11-page dossier of scandals. I find that very disappointing. And of course, uh, the head of the U.S. Conference, Catholic Bishop uh, uh, Conference, that's uh, Cardinal Dinado, has basically sort of demanded, well, not really demanded, but he's saying it's urgent that they have an audience with the Pope now to, to look into uh, these issues. I think they need to. I think it's a difficult time for the Catholic Church in America. I mean, there's calls in Washington for Cardinal Ware to, to resign and so on and so on because of the, the report, the Pennsylvania, the report that was released in Pennsylvania, which has also documented the inability of the church to act on cases that they've known of. And um, this is no small matter. It's a serious matter. And uh, it, it, is quest- it questions the credibility, the very fiber uh, of the church, what the church holds. So I, 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 I ask definitely that not only do we pray for Americans, but also we who are not there right now learn from those experiences and, 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 and not find ourselves foolishly where the Americans are at this time. Not that we don't have these cases. Mm-hmm. We do. But we're fortunate, for instance, in our conference that the protocols on the professional conduct of priests and religious and so on and sexual misconduct of minors and vulnerable adults were released amongst the first countries in the world far earlier than any other country. And I think we're fortunate because of that. And therefore, there is a way of dealing with it. It's if those processes are ignored, and that's a problem. Father Lawrence Mtuduzindrovu, thank you very much once again for your time. Thank you, Khanyadikabi. And of course, uh, we listen to you on Thursday on Radio Veritas. Yes, thank you.